All right, I think we're rolling. Rocket. I'm not sure if we're rolling. What's going on, y'all? Welcome in. Happy Monday night. Happy Monday, y'all. Welcome in, my dudes. I am Sean Corey, Jonathan Corey. You can find all my links um, to all my things at Sean, or I'm sorry, LibertyLinks.io slash Jonathan Corey. LibertyLinks.io slash Jonathan Corey for all my stuff and my things, right? I am cold. <laughs> Hoodie Sean is out, uh, not on purpose. Um, <laughs> Saturday night, my uh, heat went out in my apartment. So that was fun, right as it got cold in Nashville. Right as it got cold, of course, my heat goes out, right? And, uh, of course, maintenance crew is not working Sunday at my complex. So uh, I just, for like the last 48 hours, I've been in like a 50-degree apartment. It's been fun. Of course, I work outside, so it's expected. I know like at least 8, 10, 12 hours of my day is going to be outside in the elements, in the heat, in the in the cold, no matter what. But um, it's just extra harsh when you like get home and then you have to like <laughs> just sit in 50 degrees, sleep in 50 degrees, you know. But uh, just like an hour or two ago, two hours ago, my boy, my maintenance dude in my apartment came, fixed my heat. It's working now. But it's still cold in here. We're still, we're not at 50. We're at like 65. Slowly climbing, you know. So sorry if you hear that. I can like, it'll be popping on the uh, heat sound or whatever. What will be Oh, what's up, Demon Hunter Bear? What's going on, brother? Hope all is well. Thank you for tuning in. As always, brother. Hope all is well. Hope you have uh, some awesome Thanksgiving plans coming up. Or some Friendsgiving plans coming up. We are going to dive right into it tonight. Um, after this comment by Demon Hunter, it says, For the future, invest in a heater if you can. Decent one is like 50 at Homo Depot. <laughs> yeah, I have like a mini one. I have like one of those mini little squares that you just plug into the wall that's like super hot right next to it and can kind of heat up your room in, in a little bit. But uh, of course, I go to plug that in and it doesn't work. So even my backup heater didn't work. Um, the fan worked. I could fan. I could use it as a fan, but not as a. Uh, There's no heat coming from that. So even my backup option didn't work. You know. But it's all right. We survived. We're we're men. We survive like men do, right? What did our ancestors do? <laughs> they probably built fires. Uh, but what did they do? Did they did they cry and complain about first world problems, or did they crush? Did they just get on with living anyways? suffering through the pain right that's what we did and then and then i called and then i texted my maintenance guy like hey can you come fix this cry face cry face <laughs> i'm cold come solve my problem for me cry face cry face <laughs> yeah i will survive the winter yes i will i will survive the winter with the help of a maintenance man who's who's chill and knows what he's doing <laughs> right now we're, we're getting right into it tonight talking about some stuff we're gonna talk about some parables we're gonna we're gonna read a couple parables we're gonna get uh we're gonna cover some interesting interesting things with my interesting take um on a short and beautiful passage of scripture that i view differently than most people do when they read it on the surface we'll get into that we're also gonna read from the jesus storybook bible the uh you know second greatest book ever printed <laughs> We're going to dive back into the Jesus Storybook Bible. But first, I just thought this was like an awesome description of parables from my Eastern Orthodox study Bible that I wanted to share before getting into, you know, the real meat and potatoes I have for y'all tonight. And it reads, The truth communicated in Jesus' parables is not evident to all who hear them. The listener must have spiritual ears to hear, and even then, not all have the same degree of understanding. Thus, Jesus' statement that to those who are outside, all things come in parables, from Mark 4.11, may instead be translated, all things come in riddles. Jesus' quotation of Isaiah 6.9 does not mean he used parables to blind the people or to lead them to punishment. On the contrary, it demonstrates that the people are responsible for their own lack of receptivity. It's a beautiful word. 
when it rings well. Receptivity. Having grown dull and insensitive, they are unwilling to accept their message of the parables. As the mission of Isaiah in the Old Testament was to open the eyes of Israel to see the acts of God, the parables of Jesus are intended to open the eyes of his hearers to the truth and lead them to produce the fruit of righteousness. Parables challenge the hearer and call for faith to perceive the mysteries of the kingdom. Insight into God's kingdom does not come simply through an intellectual understanding of the parables. Spiritual enlightenment is essentially a communication of faith in the person, words, and deeds of the Lord Jesus Christ. The use of parables was known in Jewish, Jewish culture long before Jesus, but he brought the art of parables to perfection, relating aspects of the kingdom and speaking of God himself through vivid stories. His purpose was not only to reveal truth to those with hearts prepared, he wished to draw responsive hearts past the entrance and into the very reality of God's kingdom, which he proclaimed and inaugurated. Just thought that was awesome. And it's going to relate. Um, <clears throat> We are going to read first from Matthew 13, so get out your Bibles and get ready. Uh, get ready to follow along. Matthew 13, um, where Jesus begins to really speak in parables in his ministry timeline. A point in time during his earthly ministry where the intensity picked up on the raising up of his disciples and teaching the people of the day, um, and all of us who followed actually really, um, in just simple and easy to understand ways, relatable ways, right? Although the timeline of events in the Gospel of Matthew is a bit off and mixed around, this is generally the point where Jesus turned away from offering Israel and the children of Abraham a chance to enjoy God's kingdom here and now. Um, you know, as the Pharisees and the people under the influence rejected Christ and their Messiah, obviously even goes going so far as to call their Messiah Satan <laughs> call his miracles the works of Satan right I think it was the end of Matthew 11 and Matthew 12 and this rejection leads Jesus into a new stage of ministry and the real beginning of a journey towards the cross and the ultimate sacrifice we see Jesus shift the focus away from persuading the people of that day to follow his teachings and accept him as their Messiah to instead starting to train and teach his disciples to become fishers of men and to take on the role of building a church that would last for many generations to come. And even a fellowship that extended beyond merely just the children of Abraham, right? And onto the whole world, all of the whole world, everyone, everywhere, even the Gentiles, right? The men and the women, the children and the old, the sick and the poor, right? These chosen men and a few women would impact the hearts and souls of those to come for decades, then for hundreds and even thousands of years to follow, right? All of the people everywhere. Again, you know, the Jews, the Gentiles, the ruling elites, the working class, the wealthy, the poor, the young, the old, the sick, the healthy, the black, the white, the brown, the red, you know, again, the men and the women, all these things were radical at the time very in-group preference from the chosen people so this was pretty radical of them right to offer salvation to all all people were to be offered salvation for their sins an opportunity as well to take part in the building of the lord's kingdom and an ability to be spiritually reunited with their creator for the eternity that is to come for all of us in matthew 13 we are entering into discipleship 101 Get your books out. Get the word out. Get your books out. And turn to page... <laughs> what is mine? Um, mine doesn't have pages. It's in Spanish. It says 22. I think it's the 22 of the First Testament. But it's the first book of the Old Testament. It's probably usually about 70% of the way through your Bible. First book of the, Old, of the New Testament. And, you know, this is... In chapter 13 of that book, Matthew, book of Matthew, we are in the beginning stages of disciples learning how to become disciple makers, right? 
learning how to make disciples themselves one day. But this is the moment. These next uh, 12 or 13 chapters leading up to the crucifixion is Jesus speaking to these people, making them become disciples that will go forth and make disciples, right? And laying the groundwork for how we do the same. We read this just like the disciples. We read this and learn just like the disciples were learning in real time in these moments, right? And this is the chapter in the period of time where Jesus began preparing the early church and original kingdom builders to lay down the groundwork for his church. Setting upon a firm foundation for the church to be built upon, right? Not a uh, house built on sand. And we are going to skip a few parables in this chapter. It's awesome. They're all awesome. Jesus just starts throwing them out there. <laughs> just starts throwing some heat out there with some awesome parables. And we'll... Um, I'll get back to some of these later because um, they are so great, actually. You know, the sower, the wheat and the tares, the mustard seed, the leaven, the, uh, the dragonette, and just, you know, Jesus in general, just explaining parables, explaining who hears them, why they're told, why they're being told, what they mean, why they're important, you know. Um, and I am going to go through Genesis next year. I know I keep saying that, but it's finally happening. It's finally happening happening y'all we're going through genesis verse by verse chapter by chapter some of the chapters might be clumped together some of the chapters might take like three weeks to unpack you know so we're going to go through it slowly and meticulously verse by verse the whole way all next year and whenever we get done whether it takes me you know 40 chapters like 40 weeks <laughs> or 20 weeks we'll see how long it takes me but whenever we're done with Genesis, we are definitely going to skip right to Matthew and go through Matthew in the same way, verse by verse, book by book, you know, chapter by chapter, not book by book. It's the book. Chapter by chapter, we're going through it completely because in Matthew, there is so much gravy here and it's such a masterpiece in so many ways. And I can keep rambling about Matthew, who he was, the life he lives, but we'll save it. Tune in in about a year. <laughs> Tune in after the Genesis series is complete and we're diving into Matthew and covering it completely. But tonight, we're reading two, we're reading two extremely short parables, I think three verses in total. The uh, known commonly as the hidden treasure and the costly pearl. And I'm going to share my thoughts on them and ramble a little bit and then we'll call it a night if y'all don't have any comments or questions for me along the way here live. So uh, yeah, let's just I'll stop rambling. Let's get into it. Matthew 13 verses 44 through 46 read, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in the field, which a man found and hid again. And from joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking fine pearls. And upon finding one pearl of great value, he went and sold all that he had and bought it. Read it again. Because it's awesome and short. Short enough to read again. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in the field which a man found and hid again. These words are crucial. We're going to talk about the importance of these words. Like a treasure hidden in the field, which a man found and hid again. And from joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has and he buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking fine pearls. And upon finding one pearl of great value, he went and sold all that he had and bought it. All right. So remember that. Put a pin in that. We're going to get into this. But first, <laughs> this is the greatest book ever written, for sure, without question, right? The Word. The greatest book ever written, for sure, without question. And in my humble opinion, the second greatest book ever written. Ever ever written ever published is this guy right here the jesus storybook bible <laughs> the second best book ever written and we're gonna read the story in this about this parable called the treasure hunt the story of the hidden treasure from matthew 13 gather around y'all 
Gather around like the artwork here. Gather around. Listen to what your Lord has to say. <laughs> One day, Jesus was telling people about God's kingdom. God's kingdom is wherever God is king, Jesus told them. It's wherever God is in charge. It's where he fills your heart up with his forever happiness and you stop running away from him and you love him. But sometimes people couldn't understand things very well. So Jesus helped them by telling them stories called parables. Jesus said, God's kingdom is like a hidden treasure. And then he told them this story. Once upon a time, there was a man working in a field, digging. So there he is, digging away. But what he doesn't know is that in that field, there is buried treasure. So dig, 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 clank, clank, clonk, uh-oh, his shovel bumps into something hard. Hello, what's this? He picks it up, dusts it off. It's a chest. It's rusted and locked, but creak, he pries it open. What he sees inside takes his breath away. Beautiful, glittering, gleaming, twinkling, sparkling, precious jewels. Precious jewels. Hard at work, finds a treasure chest. Oh no, there's some jewels. Some precious, <laughs> precious jewels. It's a treasure chest. He wants that treasure. He needs to get that treasure. He must have that treasure somehow. Even if he has to sell everything he has so that he can pay for it. He quickly buries the treasure again, runs home, and sells everything he has. He takes the money from the sale and goes and buys that field. Now he owns the field and the treasure that is buried in it. He runs back and digs up the treasure again. Jesus said, coming home to God is as wonderful as finding a treasure. You might have to dig before you find it. You might have to look before you see it. You might even have to give up everything you have to get it. But being where God is, being in his kingdom, that's more important than anything else in all the world. It's worth anything you have to give up, Jesus told them. Because God is the real treasure. God had a treasure too, of course. A treasure that was lost long, long ago. What was God's treasure? His most important thing. The thing God loved best in all the world. God's treasure was his children. It was why Jesus had come into the world to find God's missing treasure. And pay the price to win them back. And Jesus would do it, even if it cost him everything he had. Man, look at that. Look at that happy boy. <laughs> look at all happy boy with his little treasure. Double fist pump into the air. He got the double fist pump in the air going. Man. Powerful stuff in a children's book. <laughs> So on the surface, the uh, parable in Matthew 13 of the hidden treasure in a field illustrates those who unintentionally stumble onto Christ and his church, yet still receive him with great eagerness. And the parable of great price, um, the pearl of great price, illustrates those who have been searching in their hearts for truth and salvation, who finally find it in Christ and his church, and then rejoice. The other pearls represent all the various teachings and philosophies of the world. These treasures are hidden in that they are neither recognized nor valued by those immersed in worldliness. And the hidden treasure parable, receiving the treasure requires that everything else must be sold. That is, a person must surrender all things of value here and now in order to receive Christ and an eternal salvation. A believer must not be caught up in the things and happenings of their here now, but instead fixate his eyes upon the eternity that awaits us beyond this all.
But that's like a surface level explanation, right? That's what most people believe. It's most people's conclusions, right? But we're going to dive a little deeper because there's another meaning. It's not that that's wrong. There's a deeper meaning here. We're going to dissect this and dive into this, right? Into these two parables a little deeper. These short little parables that pack such an enormous punch for believers, right? And we're going to get to the full bottom of the context and meaning here, y'all. Because the problem people make is these par they assume these parables are being taught to unbelievers. And yes, they are in a way, and that's the surface level. But as we said earlier, as these parables are shown or explained by Jesus over time, he's really truly t telling these to his disciples and his followers, those who have faith in him, who are learning how to serve him, right? It's these explanations of how to become missionary, how to become a servant, how to do the works that follow from your faith, right? So that's what we're getting into tonight. Because the kingdom offer was given to Israel and then it was re-withdrawn re when they denied him, right? Israel was offered the chance for the Messiah here and now to save them and they rejected him, right? And today, even still, I mean, there's debates. We can get into preterism and uh, the millennial, post-millennial reign theories. But most people believe, and I go back and forth on it, but I'm pretty sure we are as well still waiting for his kingdom to come it is still even in our future today it will come at some point right so jesus in this whole chapter and especially in these two parables specifically that i just read is telling us what will fill the gap between the proposal given to israel and the return to christ the return of christ which will be the beginning of that millennial reign again if it has already happened <laughs> what fills that gap in time is a sort of ki kingdom program. Excuse me. As Stephen Armstrong liked to say in his sermons. An amazing preacher, by the way. Stephen Armstrong. Look him up. Amazing preacher whose sermons are available on YouTube and in like podcast form on Spotify. Can't recommend enough you check those out. He also does verse by verse, goes through the whole thing. Um goes through the whole Bible and just explains everything in just like amazing detail with all the historical context, very well versed in the, the, the original language, the original meanings, really breaks everything down verse by verse entirely. Um, I've listened to his, his Matthew, which is where we're getting, get, kind of getting this from here tonight. Does it has an amazing one on Timothy, first and second Timothy, one on Ephesians, one on Thessalonians and one on Revelation. They're all amazing. All amazing. The Revelation is one I can't recommend enough, especially because it's the book that people don't like to read because it's very confusing and they don't understand what's going on. Listen to this sermon series <laughs> where Stephen Armstrong takes it verse by verse and explains it all so brilliantly, so amazingly. Um, but yeah, again, back to his term, this kingdom program, as Armstrong likes to say, was Jesus' plan to make disciples who would make disciples. A preparing of one generation to go forth and make the next generation full of regenerated hearts with eyes fixated on eternity. A multiplication effort, an attempt to make heaven crowded. This is just a quick summary of the previous four parables in Matthew 13 to lead into the main points here. And this is a summarized version of Stephen Armstrong's work on this whole chapter again. The kingdom program builds a spiritual community of new hearts by spreading the word of God. The followers of Christ are serving him by producing fruit. Our work in the world will be opposed by an enemy who seeks to choke off the fruit of believers. And we must endure this until the end when Christ will separate the groups. Despite the enemy's efforts, the church will grow. Since the enemy cannot stop God, but what it can do is find weaknesses in the church to find a foothold. As we produce fruit, we help propel the church outward and bring glory to God in our service. Are we producing good fruit? Are we loving and serving the Lord our God despite the efforts of the enemy to stop us? Right? And back to the parables we read here tonight. 
They both involve what appear to be transactions, a sort of work or action taken by believers. What appears at first to be an ability to earn or buy salvation, but we know, obviously, that, uh, I mean, I guess not obviously, since it's a hotly contested idea of what the gospel is, right? But we know that salvation is only obtained by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, not by works, so that no one may boast, right? We know that. We know that, right? As believers, can we stop debating this? So uh, that begs the question here, what detail of the kingdom then is Jesus trying to describe for us here in these parables, right? Because this man was not looking for treasure. He found it. He was not looking for treasure. He was digging. He was doing his job. He stumbled upon this treasure. He found it, right? And when he did, when he did find something of great value, he was surprised and celebrated at unexpectedly obtaining something magnificent. He then, strangely enough, reburies that treasure and goes away. It's kind of confusing, kind of baffling when you start to think about it, right? But then he comes back when he has earned enough money and even gives all of what he possesses away so that he does, um, so that he does, you know, do the right thing in purchasing the land for himself to claim this treasure as rightfully his, right? And this has to happen again because the man did not own the land and therefore did not rightfully own that newfound treasure. He had to claim it, right? Even though he found the treasure, he still had to like go put in the work necessary to rightfully claim it, right? To inherit it in the correct way. This man discovers something that radically and totally changes his entire life. He goes from just another guy, another laborer, who finds great riches that he cannot fully enjoy yet. He has to first earn it. He has to find the money, work hard, sell what he has to come back and claim the land and the treasure buried beneath it. Now, this treasure can't represent heaven or salvation, again, because those things cannot be bought or sold. Entry into heaven or salvation for our sins is not something to be bought and sold or traded for, right? We know that this can't be the gospel message itself because that good news is not hidden away from others. And we are not called to bury or hide such a great message, right? When you receive the gospel, you are to proclaim it, not hide it away, right? Wait for another day. Um, and this treasure must be something that we can discover now, but cannot possess now, for it is hidden. It is something that is found in the world, and once discovered, it changes the entire course of our lives, only obtained through great sacrifice. A great personal sacrifice. The value of this treasure is so great that nothing we possess or even could possess on our own could equal it. So what feature of the kingdom matches all of these qualities? What sort of treasure awaits us in the future? One we can't possess now but can learn about now, right? We can understand, we can know its existence, but we can't possess it right now and one that can be earned through sacrifice and service, right? We can rightfully obtain this thing that is hidden through our sacrifice and through our service, right? And to kind of answer that, to kind of lead into my answer to these uh, loaded questions, <laughs> going to jump to some scripture here. Luke 12, 33 through 34 reads, Sell your possessions and give to charity. Make yourselves money belts that do not wear out an inexhaustible treasure in heaven where no thief comes near nor does a moth destroy but where for where your treasure is there your heart will be also and colossians 3:23 reads whatever you do do your work heartily as for the lord and not for people knowing that it is from the lord that you will receive the reward of the inheritance it is the Lord Christ whom you serve. So are you getting it yet? <laughs> no? You getting it yet? Treasure, the word treasure, is just the Bible's term for the, for the desires and wants of your heart. What do you treasure? What does your heart truly want? Where are your affections? 
And our enemy will seek to tempt us into desiring things and stuff here and now. You know, sports, clothes, fancy living situations, you know, or just better, comfortable living situations, hobbies, physical appearance, attention, other people, right? The enemy will seek to focus on treasures of this world. The people, the places, the things that are of little importance to our eternities and will not carry over with us into the kingdom of heaven. Us believers, that is, right? But our heavenly Father offers us this greatest, this, the greatest treasure of all. Something beyond worth, the sacrifices we are called to make here and now. Greater treasure than anything that could ever be obtained in this world. This reward is not salvation. It is not entrance into heaven. And it is only offered to us to begin with after we have gained entry into the Lord's kingdom. So this treasure is something that is given to us after our faith, right? After we have become believers. Christ is telling these parables to believers. What do we do now that we are believers, right? He's teaching them a lesson about what comes after their faith and after their salvation is sealed, right? So following our coming to faith, our repentance, our forgiveness, our obedience, it is only for the believer that Jesus is speaking these things. And this treasure in the field is what awaits believers once they return home to their father's house. This treasure is hidden. We cannot see it or know of it right now. Our best life does not come now. It is next, right? We do not live our best lives now, as the uh, prosperity gospel preachers like to say, right? <laughs> like to lay claim to. But we are truly living our worst life now. This earth, our time in it, this earth is the most hell a believer will ever experience, right? And it is only after we pass away and come before the Lord that this treasure he is speaking of here will finally and fully be acquired. We can, however, discover this treasure in a way, and we sort of just did. Funny enough, we kind of just did. Through the word of God, we just discovered a treasure that was hidden and unknown. Like the man in that field, what are we going to do with this treasure? Are we willing to set aside our pursuits in this world so that we may earn this treasure doing good works that serve God instead of serving ourselves? Are we willing to make that trade-off truly? Now that we know that this treasure does exist, that choice is ours. The sacrifices we make and the works we do in service to him as believers will form the basis for how Christ assigns rewards to us later on. Our lives should really only have one goal, right? <laughs> there should only be one goal of our lives, of everything we do, is to please Christ, to bring glory to our Lord, right? To serve the Lord who made us, sustains us, sacrifices for us, leads us, corrects us, provides for us, and wants us to be connected with and present alongside Him forever. There is a day coming for us believers after our deaths, where we will stand before God and be judged. And that will not be a judgment moment where we will be, be assessed for entrance into heaven since our salvation as believers is not in question. We did not earn our salvation through good works and we cannot lose it through the lack thereof, right? You can't get into heaven with, with the works you do and you can't lose your place in heaven for a lack of works, right? We cannot lose what we gain through faith by doing something or not doing something. What we do had no bearing on gaining salvation. And what we do has no bearing on keeping salvation. So this judgment we will face as believers is not about getting into heaven or not. That was already decided for us long ago on the cross. What this judgment will be though is for is for determining how we served Jesus. And our works will be evaluated so they may be rewarded accordingly, so that the proper amounts of treasure shall be dished out. What we give up will surely be, be paid back so far beyond our comprehension. 
We won't be disappointed in the treasure we, re we receive. We won't want to go back in time and take the other choice, right? We won't regret the choices we make or complain about unfair our situation is when these real, true, amazing, valuable treasures that are hidden to us as of right now are, is one day uncovered, discovered, and then rightfully given to us, right? Rightfully earned by us by sacrificing everything we have and rightfully laying claim to the land and the treasure that lays, beyond, lays beneath it, right? We will be satisfied completely in Christ and our obedience will pay off. Lack of works or bad works will not send us to hell, right? Paul makes it very clear to us in the letter to the church in Ephesus, writing, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. And that is how we are saved, not by anything we do or don't do. And I don't have the formula or the cheat sheet <laughs> to know what the treasure will be or how it will be dished out. We will find out one day. But it will be given out to each of us according to how well we served him and obeyed him. Right? This treasure, again, is hidden as of now. And one day, it will be rightfully claimed. It will be rightfully presented to us, right? When we have done the necessary work in order to earn it and lay claim to it, right? The parable of the hidden treasure is Jesus telling us that there are incentives for what we do here and now in this place. During our time in the kingdom program leading up to the eternal kingdom and also the millennial reign, you know, that's still to come. Here, here one day supposedly allegedly we are to serve the kingdom program in many ways sacrificially and wholeheartedly we have an amazing opportunity before us all right now and great rewards await us all in the end and before we close out here tonight the second parable we read about about the uh the fine pearls teaches us what a disciple does when this truth is understood so what comes next after you understand this, right? It seems at first, like on its surface, to be sort of a duplication of the last parable, right? But the key difference is that the man in the field wasn't searching for anything. He was just going about his day, you know, doing his normal tasks, his normal routines. Pretty insignificant day, just digging away in a field before discovering something that drastically changed his circumstances and his course of action. The second parable, however, is a merchant who is searching, seeking for the good stuff out there, on the lookout for things of value. And when he comes along and finds a treasure he knows the real value of, it tr he trades it and all that he has for it, right? It is a compliment to the previous parable, but the difference is the attitude and the knowledge of a believer who understands eternal rewards. This is a believer who has consciously set their hearts on looking for opportunities to serve. They are looking for that pearl of great price. They understand there is only so much time and energy and resources in this life, and they spend all of it on mission. They choose to spend everything they have on mission to find this treasure of great price, right? Always looking for ways to serve the kingdom. We as believers do this to varying degrees, but this is the model set before us to be on the lookout for treasure and take the necessary action required to obtain it or always being ready and willing to serve and love others and doing so whenever any of those opportunities arise. Totally and completely ready to walk away from everything, all that we have, anything we could ever have in this life in order to please the Lord and bring glory to him. We have these opportunities around us at all times. The Lord puts opportunities to serve him before us often and continually. <laughs> are you taking, are you taking up the offers? That's the question. 
These opportunities are around us in big ways, small ways, in words, through actions. There are unbelievers all around us, people weak in faith all around us, and believers who need our help. True believers who still need our help. There are people who need love and support, help and hope, advice and leadership, healing and fellowship, friends and family. We can provide for others if we are willing to sacrifice, and if we put our hearts on desiring God and His right ways, we will serve Him by serving those around us. The last thing our enemy wants, the last thing, absolute last thing our enemy wants for us is to produce good fruit. When we do produce good fruit, there are tens or hundreds more of us that he has to deal with. When we are disciples who make disciples, Satan has to deal with a multiplication of his enemies, right? The good guys. <laughs> so he will find where our weaknesses are, right? That's what the previous parables are leading are in Matthew 13 leading up to this. And he knows what we enjoy and what we are tempted by. He gets us off track and that will be put before us, brought into our lives, right? Plant the seeds of temptation. Plant the seeds of sin in your minds, forever trying to lead you astray. Distractions and pleasures, comforts, stuff, people, places, things, all of this will prevent us from hearing the gospel and obeying it. What do you treasure? Do you treasure bringing glory to God? or stuff and things here and now, right? But regardless of that inevitability, we have a serious, we have to seriously ask ourselves, what are we willing to do now that we have discovered that treasure? Where and who can we serve? What and how much do we need to sacrifice in order to accomplish the righteous mission set before us? Are we going to rejoice in finding treasure and be willing to give up what we have now for even greater rewards later on? Is your heart set on the Lord and the eternity to come with him? Is your heart set on the Lord and the eternity to come spent with him? And I guess just some more questions. Send me me, uh, chats, questions, comments if you guys have them. What up, my one Twitch stream viewer? (laughs) Always. Just always one. Sometimes two. What's going on? What's going on Facebook watching? I'm on Twitter. I can't see how many of you are watching, but what's up, Twitter? Before we end tonight, just want to ask a few more questions. Um, Who goes to heaven? Right? You out there. Who goes to heaven? If your answer to that is... People who do good things, who do good works. Um, Do you think you're right? (laughs) If that is your answer, do you think that is correct? Uh, I hate to break it to you. (laughs) I hate to break it to you, but that's simply not true. Because if we were to get to heaven because of our good works... How do we know when we have done enough good works, right? Or what those good works actually even are? Like who's to say what it is, right? Who's to say what these good works are and how much you need to be doing? Is it a one-time thing, one-off thing? Do you have to do it forever? Sometimes just enough, right? And even if we could somehow establish what those good works are or you know how much of them that we do need to be doing, then what was the point of Jesus dying on the cross, right? What was the point of that? And can I just be real with y'all? Can I be real with my dudes out there? My dudes right there listening now with me here live, Demon Hunter Bear and others, or all y'all in the future listening or watching this. There is a God in heaven, right? And he loves you. He loves you so much. And he looked down on you and me over 2,000 years ago because he didn't feel right leaving us to just suffer and die in our sin, right? So perfection left heaven. It collided with imperfection down here on earth. 
and he went through the greatest shame and agony imaginable for us. Going to the cross for us in our place. His perfection went to the cross and took on our imperfection. And we can't do enough good things to get to heaven, to spiritually reunite with our creator by our own power, or by our own wisdom, our own will and determination, right? We never will be able to on our own. And do you know your creator? That's the real true question that matters here tonight, right? Do you know your creator? Truly, do you know him? Do you have a relationship with him? The one who left heaven and went to the cross for you and me. Died a sinner's death, rose three days later to defeat sin and defeat death, to offer us all a place into his kingdom forever through our faith and relationship with him, given to us by his word and through his spirit, offered to all of us everywhere forevermore. You, me, everyone else out there you'll ever meet, you'll ever see, you'll ever hear about, right? And it's not because we are good enough or because we do enough good stuff, but because our maker is good and we can be like him by believing in him, by following him, surrendering to him and returning humbly back to him with a genuine heart and an obedient mind. Hope that all made sense to you tonight. <laughs> Hope that all made sense to you. Should I read Jesus Storybook Bible again? This, is, this was shorter than I thought it would be. Demon Hunter in the chat says, Ira voice. You mean I can't have lollipops? I can't do the Ira voice. You mean I can't have lollipops and fancy pants and enter God's kingdom? <laughs> Sounds bigoted to me. <laughs> It's like doing, I have to do like an Eric Cartman, right? That's the Ira voice. <laughs> I can't even do that sound. <laughs> Hand rubbing intensifies noise, right? You mean I can't have lollipops and fancy pants and enter God's kingdom? Sounds bigoted to me. <laughs> it's like Eric Cartman and Adam Sandler combined. That's the Ira voice and I cannot do it. Sorry. <laughs> Sounds bigoted to me. Yeah, you're hateful. You're hateful, right? I can't do whatever I want and then just like go have an awesome, amazing e eternity with my creator. <laughs> Sounds so you're evil. You're evil. You're a bigot. We'll do this. We'll read it again. Jesus Storybook Bible. Treasure Hunt. Story of the Hidden Treasure from Matthew 13. One day, Jesus was telling people about God's kingdom. God's kingdom is wherever God is king, Jesus told them. It's wherever God is in charge. It's where he fills your heart up with his forever happiness and you stop running away from him and you love him. But sometimes people couldn't understand things very well. So Jesus helped them by telling them stories called parables. Jesus said, God's kingdom is like a hidden treasure. And then he told them this story. Once upon a time, there was a man working in a field, digging. So there he is, digging. But what he doesn't know is that in that field, there is a buried treasure. So dig, dig, dig. Clink, clank, clonk. Uh-oh, his shovel bumps into something hard. Hello, what's this? He picks it up and dusts it off. It's a chest. It's rusted and locked, but creak! He pries it open. What he sees inside takes his breath away. Beautiful, glittering, gleaming, twinkling, sparkling, precious jewels. It's a treasure chest. He wants that treasure. He needs to get that treasure. He must have that treasure somehow, even if he has to sell everything he has so he can pay for it. 
He quickly buries that treasure again, runs home, and sells everything he has. He takes the money from the sale and goes and buys that field. Now he owns that field and the treasure that is buried in it. He runs back and digs up the treasure again. Jesus said, Coming home to God is as wonderful as finding a treasure. You might have to dig before you find it. You might have to look before you see it. You might even have to give up everything you have to get it. But being where God is, being in his kingdom, that's more important than everything else in all the world. It's worth anything you have to give up, Jesus told them, because God is the real treasure. God had a treasure too, of course, a treasure that was lost long, long ago. What was God's treasure, his most important thing, the thing God loved best in all the world? God's treasure was his children. It was why Jesus had to come into the world to find God's treasure and pay the price to win them back. And Jesus would do it, even if it cost him everything he had. Even if it cost him everything he had. Amazing. Amazing. So get a copy for yourself, Jesus Storybook Bible. Get one for yourself and your children. <laughs> All the children of your life, your nieces, your nephews, kids at your church. Get get some copies. Order some copies, right? That's going to be it for me tonight, y'all. Thank you for tuning in. Thanks for the comments, Demon Hunter. Hope all is well. Hope you're actually uh, catching some of those demons you're hunting. <laughs> LibertyLinks.io slash Jonathan Corey for all my content links, all my social media accounts. I'll be back Monday night right here, live again, 7 p.m. Central Time. Tune in live to chat, comment, ask questions. Um... Just find the channel on my streaming sites. My YouTube channel streams it. My Twitch.tv streams it. You can join my NSA handler over there and watching this. <laughs> my DLive, my Odyssey, my Twitter, my secret, super secret seventh Twitter account, and even my personal Facebook page. If you like know me in real life, you can watch it there. Send me your thoughts, your comments, your chats, your questions. I'm here streaming almost every Monday night, keyword almost, <laughs> almost every Monday night. And I'm always open to talk in my DMs or through, you know, physical mail letters. If you send them to my PO box, I will write back. I will respond. Thanks for tuning in, y'all. I'll catch you back here uh, next week. We're going to talk about treasure in the gospel some more. A little interesting part two to this stream next week. And until then, go out this week. Until then, this week, be sure to go out and do good, be good, love and be loved. Um, seek and produce what is good, true, and beautiful. Keep faith, loyalty, and hope as the primary concerns in your every moment. And I love you all, truly. Love you all. I thank you all. There's nothing you can do about that. There is nothing, nothing you can do to stop me. And I will talk to you soon. <laughs> Have a good one, y'all.